You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. Today's conversation is a special Galentine's Day edition of the podcast with life coach and book author Sherry Lead, who is truly an inspiring soul. Her own life started as, in her own words, a mess. She was abandoned as a baby and found in a cardboard box with no name, no birth date, essentially no identity. She was adopted and shares her story and work today. So I won't steal her thunder, but I will say that she shares so many great ideas and actionable tips for really maximizing friendships in the midst of the pandemic and a challenge to help you make the most of the relationships that you do have, whether that's a newer girlfriend you just met or a lifelong friendship. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And without further ado, welcome, Sherry. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on Thrive. I know you are a wife and a mama and a fellow book author, but also a life coach. So I want to just know so much more about you. So why don't you kick us off by introducing yourself to all of our listeners? Sure. Well, I'm calling you or Zooming with you from the Seattle area. Um, It's not quite as cold here as it is on the East Coast. Uh, But as you said, I'm a wife and a mother. Uh, My kids are both in college now. So um, I'm I'm actually still mothering, (laughs) even though we're almost empty nesters. Um, And before becoming a life coach, I was an attorney for several years. And now I primarily coach women. Uh, women running from the ages of mid-30s to uh, late 50s. So what caused you to make that jump from attorney to coach? Because that seems like it is quite the shift. <laughs> it is. It's a lot It's a lot different. And I was, um, when I was practicing law, I was a litigation attorney and I practiced for about 17 years. So quite some time when my kids were younger. Um, as it turns out, my daughter, so we adopted my daughter and came home. It took us two years. We adopted her from China, came home and found out I was pregnant. So that same year we had two babies. Wow. And during that process, <laughs> during that process, we found out that she needed some, um, she has some therapy needs. And so uh, I ended up staying at home. And at this point though, she's doing great. And like I said, she's in college and I had the opportunity as I got older to decide what do I actually want to do with my life? And that's when I made that switch to life coaching. That is awesome. And that's so cool too, that she's now in college and doing well. What an awesome, what an awesome story. (laughs) So I know. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know you also published a book relatively recently in, I guess, November, right? Uh, The 50-50 Friendship Flow. So we're going to talk all about that in a little bit. But a little bit before that, I want to know what your take is on friendship, because I think that this is so interesting to ask people, because I always used to think that people kind of all were the same way, where everybody wants deep friendships and like who wants superficial relationships or whatever. And then I quickly learned that that is totally not the case. So do you prefer having kind of a smaller circle of tight knit, deeper relationships 
Or are you someone who likes having a wider pool of connections and kind of that, that vaster array of girlfriends? So originally, before I actually went on this quest that became a book, I liked the big parties. I was a lot more comfortable in larger gatherings, bigger situations. The one-on-one coffee dates used to make me a little bit nervous. And that's when uh, any type of shyness would come out from me. But I've learned to practice more of this one-on-one and these smaller group meetings. And it was intentional over the last couple of years. And so now I really appreciate the more intimate friendships and putting time into those one-on-one meetings with girlfriends. Mm -hmm. Was there anything that you felt helped you kind of transition from being someone who liked bigger gatherings or not necessarily being in a more intimate setting to being more comfortable having a one-on-one connection with people? Like, were there any tips or tricks or anything that you learned or studied to kind of help shift your comfort zone a little bit in that process? Well, it was intentional. So I had to force myself to do it. And in this process of the book, I made myself meet with, well, made myself, I challenged (laughs) myself to meet with 50 women one-on-one over the course of the year. So it was uh, something that I, I made myself practice, but also I changed my mindset in that I started to think that everyone I met was both my teacher and my student. Mm. And once I began to look at the people in my life in that way, it shifted my, um, my conversations with people. And now when I meet with them, I'm there with this excitement of wanting to learn something about them. I think it took the focus off of me. Um, and that's what made the one-on-one meetings a lot more welcoming for me. That's awesome too, because it has such a beautiful give and take sort of, you know, idea to it where it's kind of a, you're going into it knowing that this is a two-sided connection and dialogue. And even though it might seem like a no-brainer for people that that is what a conversation is, I feel like we forget that a lot of times and you kind of go into it not really sure of what maybe you want to get out of it or what you should get out of it or kind of one person trying a little harder than the other or what or what have you so i feel like that's a pretty good mindset to adopt when you're especially if you're trying to shift where you're comfortable or not in in a more one-on-one setting yeah i used to look at people we've heard the common saying someone's a blessing or a lesson and i used to view my relationships like that but taking it to teacher and student instead gives it a lot more of a positive feel to it. And it's, it's kind of sets the tone for the relationship as opposed to looking back on a relationship and having this sort of judgment over the relationship. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So talk, talk to us about the 50-50 friendship flow, Life Lessons From and For My Girlfriends. It's your new book. It essentially chronicles 50 one-on-one dates with girlfriends over the course of a year to tell them the impact and meaning that they have had on your life, which is so cool. And wow, how I wish more people would actually adopt this challenge for themselves because that is awesome. So tell us all about what it is, what inspired it, and what you learned from it. Yes, um, just so happens I had attended a girlfriend's memorial service. um, And at the service, people stood up and they said all these wonderful things about her. And this was great, but 
I found myself becoming sad because they weren't saying these things obviously to her. So it happened to be between my 49th and 50th birthday. Uh, so I decided on the number 50 because of that. Uh, but I decided to make it my goal to sit down one-on-one -on -one with women. And some women I had met just once before and other women I had known a lifetime, but to sit down with them for the purpose of letting them know what I've learned from them and to ask them questions and to have these conversations with them. And this happened over a year, it was before the pandemic. So all these meetings were uh, in person. Um, and I do, I encourage people to do this and challenge themselves, not necessarily 50, it could be five, you know, five people, 10 people, whatever becomes doable for, for you, but make that a set amount of time, such as a year. Do you have any advice for if someone wants to do this for themselves, how to kind of start that conversation with people where it doesn't feel awkward? Like, did you just go up to people and say like, hey, uh, you mean a lot to me. I want to sit down and like tell you what you mean to me. Or how, how did you kind of frame that for the people that you wanted to sit down with? And when you did so, did they know that you were going to turn it all into a book? Yeah, so I didn't plan on it becoming a book. So a lot of these meetings, especially in the beginning, were over happy hour and um, we were just out there having fun. But it is awkward. You're right, because these are conversations that we don't normally have with each other. And I've found that through this, one, it became less awkward because I was doing this, you know, more and more as a practice. And I was posting these dates on Facebook. So people, got used to, okay, this is what Sherry's doing. But when I framed it in the sense of a challenge saying I've challenged myself to do this, it took a little bit of that awkwardness away because people want you to complete a challenge. That's cool too, because that almost reminds me of literally something that my therapist and probably every therapist tells people at some point or another is using kind of like, I feel statements to kind of take pressure off of harder conversations and kind of keep it on, okay, well, this is how I feel about something. So you're right. It's like kind of like if you put that, take the pressure on yourself to kind of take it off somebody else, it makes it a lot easier of a conversation to have that's not, not as awkward as, as you might fear it to be. Yes, exactly. And, you know, like I said, I did this between my 49th and 50th birthday. I honestly wish I did this a lot earlier on. Uh, and a lot of women I spoke to, especially the women who are closer to my age, uh, they a lot of them said that they let go of a lot of their friendships between those 30 and 40 years where their focus was you know, on family, kids, um, going through all the everyday motions that we have to do as moms, wives, and career women. So this practice, you know, it started for me at, at almost age 50. Uh, I, I wish I started this earlier because I did. I learned so much from this and it really deepened my friendships. Mm -hmm. So no pressure, but if you had to pick maybe three conversations or people that were most impactful for you over the course of the year of doing this, who or what would they be and why? So I've actually continued this even uh, after, after this book. And during the pandemic, I had Zoom dates and I asked women, what was the mess that became their message? This was something that I was watching a master class, and Robin Roberts said her mom taught her to make her messes her messages. Uh, so one of the most recent conversations that stood out to me that has been absolutely life-changing was talking to a friend, a woman I used to work with, and she shared that her mess was her son's drug addiction, and he ended up on the streets. 
And the way the conversation changed me was, you know, at just like in many cities, Seattle has a huge homeless problem. And I had become numb to seeing the homeless as people. And I didn't realize I'd become numb to that, where I would pull up in my car and not make eye contact. And uh, I would try to avoid people more than I went see, I stopped seeing the homeless as individuals. And I didn't realize that till my conversation with her. So that conversation changed me. Uh, since that conversation, I now carry backpacks filled with supplies to give out to the homeless when I, when I see them, when I'm out. Uh, and that's had the most impact, I think, on my daily life and the way I um, interact now. That's awesome. Uh, with others that I, that I see. So that was impactful. <laughs> <laughs> I would say so. I mean, hey, if that's one of the impactful ones, 49 others in your book, you can kind of get a feel for how inspirational, <laughs> inspirational all of these meetings were and would be for readers. Wow. Yeah. And even, you know, there's, um, you asked for three and I have two others that are quick and aren't yeah, as, as deep, but one was a woman uh, named Tracy and I actually knew her sister and I knew of her, but met her for the first time at her niece's graduation party. And she greeted me with so much warmth that I thought, wow, this is the way I want to greet people. I've never, I never thought about that greeting, how it sets the tone for a friendship and since meeting her, that's the way I now greet people. I greet them as they're already my friend. And I honestly think that that set the tone for a lot of friendships that would taken a little while to kick off or maybe never would have gone off the ground, but for the way that I now greet people. Um, so that was one lesson. And, you know, I think that a big one for a third lesson, actually, I mean, they're all, they're all so different. And it's really interesting, too, because I... I wasn't planning for this to be a book, but I wrote this in the order that I met these women because you realize that everyone brings something to you and there's not one that takes priority over another. But big lesson for me came from my daughter. Uh, and she's very, she's, she and I are very different than each other. And she's actually very different than the rest of our family. She's creative and artistic and the rest of us aren't. <laughs> we're, we're very linear in the way we think. We do things kind of, checklists, you know, style. Uh, and she thinks outside the box and a standard uh, school situation doesn't work the best for her. But what she has taught me is that it's her own journey. And as her parent, I can't, I can't adopt her journey. I mean, I could support her, but I don't own her. So I can't control her journey. And that a lot of times when I'm upset as a parent, it's because she's not following my journey for her as opposed to recognizing that this is her own journey. So she taught me a lot about uh, myself. And when I, when I get upset over things, a lot of times it's because people aren't following what I want as opposed to uh, recognizing that everyone has their own journey and, and being supportive as opposed to inserting myself in, into their stuff. That's so true. But I, I mean, like, holy introspection and self-awareness that, like, I hope that everyone listening just kind of can take a second to appreciate that and try to adopt that in their own life because I'm 100% I'm positive that you are not alone in doing that as a parent, as a friend, as a partner, like I think we all have tendencies to kind of place, project our own expectations onto other people and then get upset if they are not 
if real life isn't actually matching up to that, forgetting that it was mm -hmm. in fact our own expectation or our own thing that we're putting on somebody else, which isn't necessarily fair to them or to us. So I think that that's a really powerful piece of in introspection that you pulled from all of that. Yeah, so that's that's been pretty life changing, and just even in friendships too. When I feel myself getting a little upset, I think, okay, wait a second here. Why am I upset? If I take myself out of this equation, is it you know, and look at this more objectively, um, it, what am I upset about? Yeah. So since you asked everyone this in your fifty fifty challenge, I want to turn it around and ask you, what is the mess that became your message? Yeah. So there, you know, just like so many other women I spoke to, they said, do I have, can I just talk about one? <laughs> and you realize that your life, that's what our life's about, right? So many, so many messes. And that's how we, we, we uh, are able to get to the next level or the next step and learn things. And so uh, the second round, this mess to message, I actually, I'm writing it now, decided that my mess was going to be um, actually my adoption. So I'm also adopted. And, um, I, you know, so I did some looking back and realized that my life started out basically as a mess. I was abandoned uh, in South Korea and I was found in a cardboard box without any identifying information. Uh, and so I spent a lot of my life trying to find identity. Uh, as I look back on my life, I realize that now that there was a, a big hole, like I don't have my birth date, I don't have a birth name. Uh, and I think the message has been a lifelong study of finding self-worth and who I am in myself, as opposed to looking at external factors and, and being able to say, this is who my parents were, this is, you know... I, I'm a Sagittarius or whatever it is to define me, but to be able to find definition just in who I am. Wow, that's incredible. So when do you celebrate a birthday now? I do. So the orphanage gave me a um, estimated birth date and they put it at December 16th. So I've always said, you know, if you have to estimate a birthday, do you have to put it so close to Christmas? <laughs> That's a lot of, it's, I'm like going against all these different holidays for attention. Um, but I celebrate my birthday nine days before Christmas. Well, at that point, I would say the entire month should be celebrated as your just birth month. So I think you should just extend that and just get extra time to make up for anything that might have been lost in translation or communication along the way. My husband will tell you I do a good job at celebrating the whole month. <laughs> As you should. Wow. So what have you found to be one of the most mutually beneficial or best ways to really maintain solid friendships through the pandemic? I know you mentioned you're doing the challenge again on Zoom, but I've seen a lot of people you know, say, oh, I'm tired of Zoom or like, it just isn't the same. It's obviously not as intimate. I miss hugging people. Like, is there anything that you have found to be a better alternative or even just a way to spice up Zoom meetings with your friends when it's just like not the same as your usual like wine and cheese night? <laughs> yeah, it, it takes work because we are, we do have Zoom and virtual meeting burnouts. Uh, 
there's three things that I've done that have been fun. Uh, for a while, I was doing porch drop-offs, you know, surprising girlfriends with just little things dropped off at their porches. And Valentine's Day is coming up this, you know, soon, or I don't know when, when we air here, but, you know, it can be celebrated actually all year round, our girlfriends, and just not on one day. And I found the porch drop-offs were nice surprises. Um, another idea was cooking the same meal and having a party together with the same meal and, you know, sharing recipes ahead of time. So you have the same meal. It'll look different, which is kind of funny <laughs> with everyone making it. Um, a third thing, some girlfriends and I did a favorite things gift exchange where we, you know, shared, we, you know, drew names and dropped off at porches, favorite things, uh, but it does take work and it is effort but it's worth it. I look at my 92 year old mom, she's in a uh, retirement home. So she's been isolated for most of the year. Uh, she has a group of girlfriends from her childhood that they call themselves the seven ups because there are seven of them, but now there's, there's four left and they're all in retirement homes. All have been isolated, but because of their friendships, every night they talk to each other on the phone. Uh, so that's kept them through this difficult pandemic is those connections, even at 92. And they don't Zoom, they talk on the phone. But, uh, <laughs> it, it just hit home to me how, you know, even though it's effort and we're burned out, these this is an investment that we're making and it helps us ride through these storms. Absolutely. I know too, you are obviously a life coach also. Um, and you believe strongly in helping people get closer to happiness and really feel happy in their life. Do you believe more in finding happiness or creating it? I've seen two different kind of schools of thought with this, and it's always been really interesting to me. Um, so I would love to hear your thoughts on that. I like the word creating because it's a, it gives you the control. Finding, I for me, that just conjures up, well, it might happen, it might not. I might find it, I might not. And it it's kind of an ex outwardly focused where uh, creating it is very inwardly. It's something we can do. And I believe, you know, I, I actually did to have a certificate in happiness from the Happiness Studies Academy. And it's a class that started out at Harvard and it's this positive psychology movement. But all of these... Uh, Experiments and research uh, research experiments show that relationships are one of the key factors in achieving happiness and everyone's ultimate goal in life is happiness. It's not the cars, it's not the possessions, it's not the titles, it's happiness. So knowing that relationships are one of the key factors in finding happiness, it's something that we can cultivate and, and do ourselves. We don't have to wait to find it. We can, we can do these little things and it doesn't take much, but time, it doesn't take money, just little text, little effort every day into our relationships. I love that you said all of that because I totally agree. <laughs> um, cause it always would drive me crazy when people would say, I just want to find happiness or like, or complain about, I see people say, Oh, it's just, it's toxic positivity. If you say that, you can create happiness. And I'm like, but that's, but there's so much science behind what happiness actually is. And there is so much proof that although obviously you cannot control everything in life, you cannot control things that happen to you in your life, you can control your perspective and the attitude that you take towards it. And you can control a lot of the little choices that you make in your day to bring you 
to, you know, bring you a little bit closer to feeling happy or to have you not feeling that happy, depending on what you are thinking about and what you're dwelling on. So I think that that's, you're absolutely spot on, I think, in that um, we have a lot more power than we oftentimes give ourselves credit for in terms of feeling a little bit better, even if it's, and also I love that you called out that it takes action and it takes effort and it takes intention. It's not just like you're walking along and something hits you on the head, like, hello, happiness, here you go. <laughs> like you have to work at it, but it's worth it. So I love that. Yes. And I spoke with a lot of women with this mess to message, which surprised me because these, a lot of these women were friends of mine for several years. And at least three of them said that they deal with anxiety on a regular basis. And so it does take them effort to, you know, get up and it's harder for them. And I get that, you know, so it's, I don't want to say happiness is easy to achieve if you just try, because it's not, I know it's harder for a lot of people, but there's also this uh, idea of synthetic happiness. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but basically it's like you can create happiness by doing things that make you happy. And at some point you start responding in a happy nature. So it's almost like fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. uh, but there it does, it takes effort, you know, and for some people and sometimes in life at different points in life, it takes a little more effort than others, but that's when we really need to dive down and, and um, grab our tools and do what we can to take those steps. Absolutely. We did that when our daughter was in the NICU for 73 days. We would come home every night and just watch an episode of Schitt's Creek on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen oh, it, yeah. but it's so funny. And we were like, we were going through what was the, one of the hardest times of our lives as a couple and as a family. But we were like, we need to feel joy. Like we need to just smile. We need to laugh. And we were like, literally just intentional about, okay, Life sucks right now and we really feel a lot of pain right now, but we want to do so do something to feel a little bit different and to feel a little bit better. And it worked. So mm -hmm. I highly recommend people make like a joy list or have like a little happy list that you literally keep a note on your phone or a post-it note on your mirror of a couple of things that you know make you happy. So that if you are needing a little pick-me-up, it could be like a specific song or like a specific drink order at your favorite restaurant or whatever where you have like a, a specific thing you can go back to when you need a pick-me-up that will make you happy in that moment. <laughs> I love that and also talking to these women you reminded me one woman said that a thing that she realized she needed to do is remember what made her happy as a child. Oh I love that. And she had got her kids, she had raised uh, three kids. And the, I think her youngest at the time she spoke to me was 20, a young adult. And she realized, I'm not really happy right now. And I don't know what makes me happy because, you know, my entire life I've been raising kids or my adult life raising kids and going to work. What makes me happy? And she went back to what made her happy as a child. Um, and it took work actually for her to figure out exactly what made her happy. Yeah, what was then, it? But, Do you remember what it was that she went back yeah, to? Well, for her, for her, she remembers she actually really loved church and she loved the, you know, the, um, she really liked the ritual of it. She liked the music, the song, and she had left church in her early 20s um, for a, a variety of reasons. 
but she realized as an adult, that's something that made her happy. So she found a church that matched what she wanted and what she believed in and started attending. And she got some of that joy back, which also reminded her that she loved art. And so she started attending art functions and art galleries and things like that, that she had let go of um, when she became too busy or when art became something that couldn't make money. That's awesome. So what what's something that you think every listener can do as soon as they're done tuning into this podcast to bring more happy into today? I think every listener could make a list of five friends and make a commitment to reach out to those five friends, whether it be on a you know virtual date or in person, one-on-one. Or drop off a note, you know, with a little gift on somebody's porch, but five friends that they'll commit to meeting with over the course of the next six months, uh, just for the purpose of sharing with that friend what lesson they've learned. I love that. I hope everybody just wrote that down because you've got it to do for after today. Awesome. So Sherry, thank you so much for joining me on Thrive today. I want to close out by asking you something that I ask all guests who come on the Thrive podcast. And that is, what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? Thrive means moving forward to me. And I strive to thrive by reading, by journaling, especially journaling and reflecting. I keep my journals. I look back on them on the day. So now I'm four four years. Every day I look back, what was I doing on this day? three years ago, two years ago, one year ago. Wow. And when I look back, the reflection piece is where I see that I am thriving. That's awesome. I've literally never heard of someone who is able to maintain that where every single day for that long, they have that to look back on. That must be so empowering for you too, to see your growth in, oh my gosh, three, four years. That's incredible. It, it is amazing, especially who would have thought that after 50, I'd still be growing or I'd publish my first book at age 50. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable uh, to see that we at every single age, we keep growing, we keep thriving, we keep changing. That's awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much again. Tell us all where people can find you online to connect and where people can get their hands on a copy of the 50-50 Friendship Flow. The book's available on Amazon and my um, website, which is the same name on social media, it's a mouthful, but it's an imperfectly perfect life. So an imperfectly perfect life.com. And it's by the same name on Instagram and Facebook. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.